This morning I want to talk about, um, I'm, I'm probably the worst pastor at creative sermon names. This is kind of what's about Hosea and Harlots. So, but, so I named it Hosea and Harlots. And, but uh, I also tried to, you know, I've had lots of bad name ideas. When the Lord told me that he was restoring the, the spirit of the tabernacle of David. And, and that's actually a New Testament, Old Testament and a New Testament prophecy that's going to happen where there's 24-7 worship and prayer throughout the church. It may not look like AHOP, Kansas City, but there's gonna, it's going to be this continual offering of prayer and worship and incense before the Lord. You know, Revelation talks about the prayers of the saints filling the bowls and them spilling over and so there is, and so it's uh, it's going it's going to happen. And this was ten years ago, and the, this is whenever we started having our one voice, twenty four hour prayer and worship service uh, events. How many of y'all remember those, the one voice events? Anybody still here? Lillian, Jessica, anybody else? Krista, Watson, and that was. That was a cool little two-year season where we did like five of those. And, um, but I was trying to come up with names for it, you know, before we called it One Voice. So I thought of the acronym STOKED. S-T-O-K-D, Spirit of the Tabernacle of King David. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I didn't say, you know, I just was, it didn't, you know, fortunately, the Holy Spirit, like he told Paul, don't go to Macedonia. He said, Travis, don't use that name. And so, <laughs> he said, that will not bring me glory. So anyways, um, so I want to talk about just some lessons from the book of Hosea. And, um, you know, I, Hosea is a, you know, Old Testament prophets, they lived out their message. I mean, you talk about guys that had to be surrendered and abandoned to the Lord. Isaiah ran around butt naked for two years prophesying. And why did he run around naked? Because at the time Israel was prospering and they were worship, they, they'd go worship the Lord in, in the temple and then they'd go to, to the uh, idolatrous places. They'd worship on the high places. They'd worship under the Asherah poles, which was a sexual immorality goddess and so they were they were playing church and worshiping other gods and isaiah ran around naked saying you think that you remember in revelation this it talks about this type of thing it says you think you're clothed but you're actually naked you think you can see but you need eyesight he says, you think you're rich, but you're really poor. And so Isaiah's message to them is just like, you are, this is you. You're, and to be seen naked in that Jewish culture was utterly shameful. And so when a, even when a man, if he girded himself up and exposed his ankles, they're like, dude, what are you doing? And, and then and if you saw a man naked, it was just like utterly, utterly shameful. That's why Noah, when he got drunk and, his, and Ham 
exposed him, his nakedness that he got cursed. I mean, you're like, dude, that's a stiff penalty. It was, it's because being naked was so, such a uh, big deal. You had Ezekiel lay on his, each side for 40 days. You had Jeremiah build a model <laughs> of Jerusalem and then it get destroyed. And these, these guys live the message and Hosea is living the message and he's preaching to Israel. And this is it, they're, they're prospering. They, they're doing well financially, but they're just like in the, in the times of Isaiah, they were worshiping other idols. They were, they were uh, had many other, they adopted the idols of other nations, but they were sexual immorality was rampant, um, offering sacrifices to other gods, household idols, you name it, they were doing it. And so Hosea ends up taking the Lord tells him to marry a prostitute and have children with her as a, as a picture of his covenant relationship with Israel. And so Hosea marries a prostitute and they have a son named Jezreel, which his name means God disperses. And the, they, were dis, they were coming, it was, a, it was a sign of what was to come. They were going to be dispersed into Babylon and Assyria. Lo Ruhama, not beloved, or has not obtained compassion. Lo Ami, that was their second son, which meant not my people. Sorry, I actually have this slide. And, and then Hosea would end up taking a, a second wife who was also a prostitute in chapter 3. Now I do want to note this, that God is He's saying to them, you're not really my people, and I'm not really your God because you're not, you're not actually surrendered to me. I'm not, your, I'm not your God. You have all these other gods. And he's declaring judgment on them, but he also declares his mercy over them too. He says, you will again be called Ami, which means my people, and you will be called Ruhama, which means beloved. And so he promises to restore them. God is not, he never, leave, he never leaves us in our mess unless we want to stay there. But if, the purpose of the mess sometimes is to turn our, is to turn our hearts back to him. And when, and when our hearts turn back to him, then he restores us. And so Hosea, I'll read this to you. You don't have to look it up. But Hosea chapter 1, verses 10 through 11 and go ahead and turn there if you're not already there in your Bibles into Hosea chapter 1. But yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Does that sound familiar? Like a New Testament fulfillment? And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together and, be, and they will appoint for themselves one leader who is that? <laughs> Jesus. Say his name. Say Jesus. And they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And he says in 2 1, say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. And so Hosea was prophesying. He said, You have these other lovers. Hosea chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says, Five and eight, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread 
and my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So he's saying, you don't recognize me as, as your provider, as the one who's provided all of this abundance for you. And so basically what he's saying is you're ungrateful. You're ungrateful. And in Thessalonians, it talks about one of the signs of like the depraved generation of the end times is that I think this is so interesting that one of the, their characteristics is they're ungrateful. They're ungrateful. It says they will hate their parents. They're rebellious, ungrateful. And I, I think that thankfulness or ungratefulness is something that actually leads you into idolatry because you don't recognize the one. Sometimes she gives me hints during the sermons, but she was amening me. And uh, guys, how many of y'all been tapped out by your wife before while you're talking? I thought that was happening. So anyways, um, so I would propose to you that lack of thankfulness leads to idolatry and backsliding. I'm telling you, like, thankfulness is like a secret weapon. It's like a nuclear bomb in the spirit. And, I, you, and if you're like, I'm running out of, thank, I'm, Lord, I feel silly thanking you for uh, milk in my fridge or that I have shoes or that um, whatever. That doesn't matter. And even if you don't say thank you for A, B, and C, just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's like builds your spirit man up. And you just because what are you doing every time you say thank you, Jesus? Lifting him up, lifting him up, lifting him up where he belongs in your life. And so one of the fruits of ingratitude is that we actually attribute the fruits of God's love to someone or something else. We give credit where it's not due. We worship someone else as a provider. Jesus, I remember, you know, Jesus, had, he talks a lot about money. And I remember when we lived in Texas, I was driving to church one day, and I was like, Lord, why do you talk about money so much? And he says it's because it's my chief competition for provider. As your, as he, it competes with me for provider. And I was like, that makes sense. And money is not, you know, First Timothy chapter 6 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How many of you know that you can be evil, you can be the evil rich guy and you can be the evil poor guy? How many of you know you can be the righteous rich man and the righteous poor man? Money is a tool. That's all it is. But when you start worshiping it, that's when it becomes, it goes way off the rails. So money is a tool. We're talking about this Friday night some, in our small group about how money is the root of evil. And even a lot of the things that are happening globally is pushed because of greed. Why do news stations promote negativity? It sells. Why do ads promote sexuality? It sells. Because who are they? Are they catering to... <laughs> A spirit-filled world? No, they're, they're catering to the flesh, right? And so that's why it works. 
And then Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free, not from money, but from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, how many of y'all knew that that promise is connected to him providing for you? I will never leave you or forsake you. And of course, he would never leave you and forsake you in any other context. But he's saying, keep your heart free from the love of money because I'll never leave you and forsake you. I'm your daddy and I'm your provider. Now, here's the fun part of Hosea. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it says, Therefore, behold, talking about Israel, which you can insert the church in there. It doesn't get rid of Israel, but it can apply to the church as well. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Acre, a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. So the purpose of the wilderness is to speak to us the things we otherwise wouldn't hear. Pain makes us better listeners. That's just the truth of it, right? Pain makes us better listeners. <laughs> and so God's purpose of the wilderness is to actually, is he, this is, you know, sometimes we think the Lord, we go into the wilderness and it's back of the tool shed time. And it may feel like that emotionally, right? On the inside, we're in a lot of pain because there's, actually, there's things of your old man that are dying off. But what actually is the purpose of the wilderness is for him to come along. I love, I love you, Greg. My favorite son. To speak tenderly to you. He comes into the wilderness to speak tenderly to you. And it says, in the valley of Acor, which the word Acor means trouble. So in the valley of trouble, what does God open up? A door of hope. In the valley of trouble is actually a door of hope. Only God does that. Only the Lord does that. Only Jesus does that. What, what, what was the cross? It, was a it looked like trouble, right? All the disciples, everybody, everyone who loved Jesus that was following him, they're like, we are in the valley of trouble because the Messiah is about to die. But it was actually the door of hope because nothing would be able to ever touch Jesus again after he rose again, right? And so I just want to prophesy over you that if you're in a valley of trouble, you're about to enter into a door of hope if you cooperate with the Lord. If you say, Lord, show me your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in the way everlasting. Because there's people who go through trouble and they don't go through the door of hope, right? You have a choice to cooperate with the Lord or not. And so that's why we pray, God, I'm simple. I don't know my right hand from my left. Teach me and hold me. And then he'll, he'll, that's when he grabs you and he'll walk you through 
Deuteronomy 1 says that he carried them through the wilderness just like a father carries his son. But you invite him into that place. Don't ever let a problem leave without it profiting you. Always get a profit from your problems. Always get a profit from your problems. That's the way, that's the, way the Lord works. Because he works thing, all, all things for your good. And thank God for the valley of trouble because it's actually opened up a new door for you. That's the purpose. That's the way God works. It's just like, it's still, it, you know, even me saying, I was like, Lord, you're just so backwards from the world. You're so backwards from the way the world thinks. And it goes on to say, it says, she will answer as in the days of her youth, talking about Israel. And so what does that mean? She will answer as in the days of her youth. What is that, what is that picture talking about? It's talking about returning to the Lord with the simplicity of a child. Childlike faith. Where the Lord says, hey, son, do this. And you're like, yeah, daddy, I'll do that. And, and, and they just, hey, let me toss you 10 feet in the air. Sure. Ah! You know, and then that was great. That was fun. Let's do it again. You know, and so returning to that place of your youth where you say yes, yes. And you don't have to understand. And so we get the revelation of God. Also, as not only our father, but as our husband. And it brings a greater grace and resolution to remain faithful to him. Because we understand the kind of covenant we are. We're in with him. He's a jealous husband. God is a jealous husband. And that's just, I'm just preaching the word to you. And that was a, actually a stumbling block for a celebrity. One time, a famous celebrity that says, I can't deal with a God who's jealous. I was like, you want a God that's jealous. You want a God who's going to come after you and fight for you. When you're, and John Eldridge paints a, a graphic picture in his, in that book, his one of, the first one, Something Love. Anybody help me? It's like one of his first books that he writ, wrote. Say what? No. We're going to keep getting this. We're going to get this. No, I'm just, I'm teasing. So anyways, John Eldridge. No, it was, it's like his very first one. But he, before that, no, we'll move on. Um, but he says that in this, this type of covenant about God being our husband, it's like when, we, when we're in idolatry, when we're chasing after other lovers, it's like the enemy comes into our bedroom and, and rapes us. And Jesus comes on the scene and rescues you. And then you look at him and say, I want to go back with the rapist. I'd rather be with them. Because that's what the enemy does to you. He is there to steal, kill, and destroy. He cares nothing about you. He cares nothing about children. He hates children. I did, for, I'm just telling you, this, that truth that I'm telling you right now just came so much more real to me over the past couple weeks. The way he hates children. He doesn't care if children are mutilated and abused and raped hundreds of times. 
hundreds of times. He does not care one bit. He doesn't care if they're aborted, if they're ripped out of mother's wounds. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care how they're killed. He just wants them dead. That's, we don't play around with the devil. He is malevolent, insidious, and Jesus stripped him of all of his authority. And so, the purpose is not to fix your eyes on the devil at all, but you've got to understand even the people that cooperate with him, they just get to die last. They get to die last. Jesus loves his bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus loves his bride. And just be careful how you judge his bride. The church has its problems. But don't go, even as pastors, and professionals, you don't judge his bride. He loves her, and he's, he's going to, he's coming. And the church is going to be all that he dreamed of her being. That's a promise. Hosea 3, 5, I, I just want to make this point. I say this many times, but about how the fear of the Lord and his goodness are not separate. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. The fear of the Lord is good. It is clean. That's what Psalm 19 says. The fear of the Lord is clean. You want this, we want this nation cleaned up. We need the fear of the Lord. Come again, Lord Jesus. Bring the fear of the Lord to the, to the United States, Lord. And then Hosea 4, 6, this is a, a scripture some of us are familiar with. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Hosea 4, 11 through 12, harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry, harlotry has led them astray, and they've played the harlot departing from their God. They say witchcraft in the United States is at an unprecedented level. There's even people who, are, uh, who have professed to turning to Satanism because they're trying to, they want to try to sway the elections. And so 
call it, I mean, whatever your motive is, whether you're trying to get an edge up on a competitor in business or you're trying to sway elections, like witchcraft is of the devil. And we don't, we don't participate in it, and this is what they were doing. And so Hosea 4, 6, basically, in other words, what he's saying is we're destroyed for a lack of knowing God. We're destroyed for a lack of knowledge, understanding his ways and how he operates. And we're called to be priests. We're called to, be, to represent him. And so when we do this, it says you'll, we'll no longer be priests to him when we're, at, when we're in idolatry and that it affects our children because we, our children come out from under the hand of God. So you're not just affecting your, yourself. We're not just doing that to ourselves. We're affecting our children when we rebel against the Lord. But we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation people of God's own possession. And so idolatry slash harlotry, it removes our understanding. And one of the fruits of the spirit of harlotry is the effect on our children. As I said, our children want to experience the presence of God, the fear of the Lord, or the kingdom of God. You are a conduit for your family. Then Hosea 2.16, And that day declares the Lord, You will call me husband, and no longer call me master. So I want us to stand up, and if the worship team will, will come, come up. So as we just enter into ministry time, I want us to just ask the Lord if there's any idols in our heart. I remember one time when I was doing this with the Lord, <laughs> he told me, he said, Travis, this was uh, when we were in Texas. He said, Travis, you crave the praise of man. And I said, what, Lord, what are you uh, really speaking? Because <laughs> I was like, I had no emotional connection to, the, to that. I knew it was probably true, but I still I was like, I don't know if it's true. Anyways, I said, Lord, what do you want me to, is there anything you want me to repent of? And he said it again, you crave the praise of man. So I got one of our elders, because I believe in confessing your sin to one another and that you might be healed. And so I just, I said, hey man, I just feel like I need to confess this. And he's like, yeah, what is it? I said, I crave the praise of man. And like godly sorrow hit me like a thunderbolt. And it was just because I obeyed the word of the Lord. And it was part of the process. I'm not saying, you know, I, Jesus was totally free from that. The praise of man, the fear of man. But that was a big blow to that in my life. And I'm still in process of totally of becoming like Jesus in that. I just urge you, whatever it is, just humble yourself under the Lord. He does repentance is not about trying to uh, he doesn't God doesn't highlight that the the sin in our life to shame us. He highlights it to heal us. That's what he wants to do. He's in the healing business. He's in the restoration business. 
He's in, he's in the making all things new business. That's the purpose. But you can't overcome what you won't confront. So I want us just to worship and just spend some time with the Lord. And if the Lord leads you to confess it to somebody and ask them just to, to pray for you, or it can just be as simple as confessing it to you because there's, there's power in that. But let's, let's worship and, and seek the Lord.